Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Welcome into the Inside of the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Hope all of you are doing well today. Hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend. It's June the 1st. Um, just looking around the Twitter sphere and then social media, man, like uh, college football coaches are fired up about today. Really all college coaches. I, I think I just saw Shane Beamer retweet every coach on campus excited about the fact that it's June 1st and uh, getting back to <clears throat> regular life uh, here in uh, what I think is the beginning of the post-COVID era. Uh, in the world. Uh, I know there's a little ways to go globally uh, and really here at home too, but uh, I think we're on the right track and the things like this certainly remind you of, of the things we all missed. And one thing I missed was summer recruiting, man. Oh man. Uh, the summer last summer, I, I think I lost track of what day it was because I didn't have like that. I didn't have baseball or recruiting to follow and uh june was just like blah i think we just sat there and talked about whether or not they'd play football all summer i mean all, all uh well basically all summer all of june and july that was the the hot topic uh around the campfires various campfires virtually and online uh so uh i think that's uh it's good not to have to talk about that uh and it's good that they're going to be visitors on campus i think for south carolina with a new staff with the energy that new staff has, with an outstanding facility, uh, with a great organized plan for visitors that come on campus. Um, I, I think that's huge because I, I only think, and I've said this many, many times, there's only so much you can get done with a Zoom call and videos and things like that. You, you got to live it to believe it sometimes or to feel it. And when you're around it, you're living it. And so I, I think that's what's going to be key. Uh, but just good to see everybody from all coaching staffs around the country celebrating this day like it's a holiday because uh, I, I think it's a, it's a really, really big deal uh, for college athletics. And we're going to keep you covered right here uh, at South Carolina. Hill McGranahan on thebigspur.com has uh, some recruiting notes already up on the board for VIPs. I think you can join for a dollar still. Uh, and I'm going to talk about things right here on the podcast. So, be sure you, you hit up every episode. But with things going on, uh, the podcast sort of increases uh, in terms of episodes and, and things like that. You know, you kind of – you want to get four, three, four a day in uh, – or, sorry, three, four a weekend during the, um, you know, during the whole uh, uh, activity period, I guess. You know, during the, the football season, it's good to have five, I think. But, um, you know, a lot of, lot of specials uh, – right now uh going on in terms of the big spur.com and all that so you know the gamecocks have uh some visitors coming in today uh carson black the 2023 quarterback from fort mill uh and this is big because as we know quarterback recruiting sort of happens earlier than regular recruiting uh and i think quarterback recruiting is going to end up being kind of its own thing uh, with the transfer portal and stuff, I, I think it affects that position more than any because there's proven transfers out there with quarterbacks where guys have gone someplace else and done very well. Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield um, come to mind. Kyler Murray comes to mind. Uh, all those guys were transfers. 
uh, from other schools. And so Jalen Hurts had a pretty good run at Oklahoma after being at Alabama. Uh, you know, so I think quarterback recruiting is going to be like this evolutionary thing that we all we always kind of have to track here, there, and yonder even after they commit. But, you know, you need to get the early guys to commit to you early <laughs> and get things started. And Carson Black is one of several uh, starting in 2023 in-state quarterbacks uh, that are going to look pretty good. Um, on Thursday, four-star Dylan Lonergan from Snellville, Georgia, and four-star four Eli Holstein from Zachary, Louisiana. Both in 2023, if I'm not mistaken, top 10 quarterback prospects in the country. They'll come in and visit with Marcus Satterfield and Shane Beamer and, and all that. Holstein, Auburn, Georgia, LSU, Texas A&M have already offered him um, eight games last year, passed for 1,610 touchdowns with three picks, also rushed for 190. Uh, really talented guy. Now, you know, he's from Zachary, Louisiana, and LSU is offered. So, you know, that's obviously a big deal. Uh, for a kid. So I wouldn't start, you know, I wouldn't start celebrating just yet, but I mean, if you don't get them on campus, they're not going to come anyway. So there's no harm in him visiting. Dylan Lonergan's a, a big time recruit too. Uh, and Carson Black, I think will be right up there in the conversation at some point. Monroe Freeling, uh, who's currently the number one prospect in the state for 2023. He's coming in in a couple of weeks. Uh, and he's only been to South Carolina, came unofficially in February of 2020 before the pandemic. Uh, he's from Oceanside Collegiate Academy in Mount Pleasant, and he'll be there for the – it's a 7-on-7 O-line D-line camp. Uh, also want to mention this other kid, Zy Offord. Um, Willie Offord, who played at Carolina, this is his kid, his son. And I feel older and older and older now knowing that Willie Offord has a son. I've known Willie for a long time. He's been in coaching for a while Certainly remember when he played at Carolina. He was really kind of one of the first Spurs, you know. He, he was a big Spur, kind of like Devontae Holloman, you know, more like a linebacker Spur than like a Rashad Faison type Spur. Uh, but Willie was a really good player, was recruited here by Brad Scott. Um, <clears throat> obviously, you know, his son is on the radar, uh, and that's a pretty big deal. And so we will keep you informed about the quarterbacks and all that. Uh, today, a pretty significant workout will take place on campus. South Point cornerback Quan Peterson, who I've really been impressed with on film. Now, I'm just watching film, a highlight tape. So I haven't seen his game film uh, like the coaches have. I haven't. Obviously, on film, he has got a lot to work on in terms of tackling. Uh, but coverage, he's one of the best, you know, sets of highlights I've seen in terms of like, you know, fluidity, being able to make the play great athlete to two sport athlete plays basketball for the South point team up there. Uh, and uh, South the stallions, sorry, <laughs> the, their, their mascot escaped me there in the South point stallions. And so I, I think that, uh, you know, that's one to watch. And I think if they end up going on this guy, uh, he, he's probably going to be better than you think. You know, right now, I think he's rated as an 84, which is a mid kind of on the lower end of the mid three star range. Uh, I think he could go up a bit. And certainly he's got a lot of schools. He's visiting Alabama, Florida State, uh, a lot of these places. And, you know, if his workouts are as impressive as his tape, here's a guy I could see possibly being in the national top 100. I, I just uh, – uh, based on that film. Now, look, like I said, I haven't seen – I'll admit it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. 
uh, on him. It's just a gut based on that. Cause I, I don't admittedly don't admit, admittedly don't have all the info, but I, Juan Peterson right there in state. That's one of those South Carolina kids that, you know, you look at that could end up being, you know, a, a better pickup than, than his ranking indicates uh, at this point, but he's working out for Torian Gray, uh, today, we all know that the, the defensive backboard is a little crowded. You know, he, Dorian Gray's in on a lot of good players. Uh, so we'll see sort of how it all goes down there. But certainly, uh, that's the start uh, for the Gamecocks in terms of recruiting. And it's just going to keep going and going and going. First official visits, uh, if I'm not mistaken, but they begin um, next week. And... Um, Next Monday, I believe, uh, with some guys. Let me look. Let's see. Is it next Monday? Hold on. Where are the, where are the official visit things? Yeah, because it's like June 7th. Yeah, Monday, June 7th, Ramon Brown and Felix Hickson arrive for like a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday official visit. So, you know, over the summer, some guys don't come in on the weekends. You know? so, so we'll have those two in and then a big one on June 11th where Chandler Smith, Sam McCall, Javante McClendon, Ryan Brubaker, Jalen Glover, uh, two commitments at Kawan Banks and Grayson Maines, uh, Sam McCall, I mentioned Peter Kikwata. I mean, that's going to be a big time deal there. Gamecocks really could make some noise uh, in recruiting, uh, I think over the next month, but I think a lot of schools are going to, and I think you're going to see some wildness uh, out there with a lot of, you know, flurries, commitments, crystal ball predictions. Hang on to your hats. It's not going to be a boring June <laughs> around Gamecock land, especially if you care about Gamecock football. Then we go right on into SEC media days, and we go right on into the season. And, and so it's just a thing. It's a blessing, I think, after what we all went through last summer to be sitting here talking about recruiting, talking about a full stadium, talking about a normal season starting on Labor Day weekend when it should. Boy, Labor Day was boring last year with no football. And, um, you know, I, I just – I feel really good about it, and I hope you guys too do too. Um, and, again, you know, South Carolina, Quan Peterson workout today. This is sort of the beginning of it. It's exciting. I can't wait to hear the feedback from recruits and their families uh, visiting the Gamecocks, and, you know, we'll have it right here. Uh, and on the big spur for you moving forward. Um, talked a little bit about linebackers last week. Had a VIP piece up. I, I won't give away the secret on all that. There wasn't really, wasn't really a whole lot of secrets in it, you know, other than the overall theme of that group is they need to get healthy. And from what Shane Beamer said publicly, everybody's tracking towards better health. Uh, there were a lot of guys out for the spring game, but it was more of a situation where there were minor, there's minor stuff that you don't want to aggravate based on a spring scrimmage. Um, I, I think Debo Williams, the freshman, the, the, the sooner he gets uh, ready to roll, you know, the better it is uh, for the Gamecocks and, and Muhammad Kaba as well. You know, Mo came in. Coming off an ACL, he wasn't quite ready to play last year. He sort of got forced into action. I was told he had a ways to go at the end of last year, and then he missed some in the spring. So he's behind. And But he's talented, you know. And, and you, you look at Kaba, and there's a reason he was ranked as a top 200 prospect. There's a reason a lot of schools wanted him. And there was a reason it was a very big recruiting victory for South Carolina to land him. 
uh, but not all prospects just because they're highly rated step on campus and start from day one. Uh, and so even if he, if Mo's a backup this year, you still don't give up on him because, you know, he, he's a guy that's just missed time. I mean, you get better at football by playing football uh, and working out and doing the things you need to do. And when you're injured, you can't do that. So that's uh that was kind of my spiel on the linebackers. I'm going to kind of break down the secondary later this week. Um, Isaiah Norris getting in sort of later. Uh, I still think if he comes in over 175 pounds, because that's my concern with him, he's listed at 170. How is he really 170? You know, because sometimes that gets kind of fudged. Is he in the 160s? How much weight does he need to gain? He, he's a ball player. You look at his film from New Mexico military and then he left new mexico military for georgia military uh and then go back to the t ohana days i mean keith Alsep and i really liked him coming out of t ohana i thought he was a good ball player um so he's coming in carlin's patel's coming in tyrese ross uh transfer from washington state's coming in um where are those those guys going to play and can they help that's the question and and i i don't know the answer levainly and craig uh also for, from a high school guy from Mobile, Alabama is coming in. I like his upside. Don't know if he can step in and play this year. Um, that's to be determined, but he certainly had a big senior season down there. And the Gamecocks, I think that was a fortunate get because uh, Auburn and those schools sort of held off and Gamecocks ended up getting him. Uh, and so that's a good one. And then Kobe Fields, who's with them, you know, I mentioned him with the linebackers. He and Jamar Brown and Daryl Ware, all are guys that, they, they've played sort of at that nickel position, you know, from the linebacker spot. Then you got guys like Odell Fortune, O'Donnell, sorry, Odell Fortune. What's wrong with me? It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday, but it's Monday. <laughs> um, O'Donnell Fortune, who has played the nickel, who I think is pretty good at it. Uh, he also plays some corner and, and some safety. Uh, R.J. Roderick certainly is a guy that could play that spot. I mean, you know, you, the list goes on and on. Uh, and I think with the secondary, it's just going to be, and I'm going to write about this, who's playing where and how good can they be? <laughs> That's the question. Um, and what is going to be the best 11? Is it with Jamar Brown at that nickel spot? You're really playing with three linebackers. Is it a situation where you're better with fortune or a defensive back type there? You know, is Jamar Brown good enough in coverage to do both? I tend to hope he is. I, you know, I, I don't know, though. I, I think it, the, the few times he's played, he's shown very good instincts and very good coverage ability, probably more so than any other linebacker they have as far as covering. Uh, and so w w what are they going to do? That's the question. And, and really, it may just depend on the team. I mean, you, you read anything about Clayton White and his defense, and, and he's asked you know specific questions about, well, what do you do here, there, and that. And he says, it's really, it's really about who you're playing. Like, who are you playing that, you know, if you go out and you play, and I don't know what kind of offense Eastern Illinois runs. We'll go with East Carolina for a second. You know, personnel needed to slow or stop East Carolina is probably going to be fundamentally different than the personnel needed to slow or stop Georgia. You know, Georgia's more of a pro-style system. They do dabble in some RPOs. They do have a better passing game now that JT Daniels is the quarterback. Um, I think he was impressive down the stretch last year, but it's still the Georgia offense. You know, they're going to, they got, uh, you know, some 12 personnel, they got some 22 personnel and they line up in the eye. Sometimes it's still the Georgia offense we've seen over the years. Um, so obviously the personnel is different than some sort of spread, like maybe East Carolina will run, um, you know, Kentucky, 
is going to be a, more of a pro style system this year, but it's more kind of like the South Carolina pro style system. Uh, the they got a guy that worked for Sean McVay with the Rams. His name escapes me as their new OC. So they're going to try to take some shots and be a little more modern and things like that uh, this year up at Kentucky. It won't be the Eddie Grand show anymore. Now, look, do I sort of question why Mark Stoops would do that after the success they've had? Yeah, a little bit. You know, I thought Eddie Grand kind of had a nice beat on like, here's who we have, so here's what we have to go play with. Uh, and they shorten games. But at the same time, if you're if you're Mark Stoops, you're like, well, how do we – how do we get from like the, a nice, you know, six to eight win team? Occasionally you win nine or 10. You know, how, how do we get to the next level? And well, you're not scoring any points. So, unless you're playing the Gamecocks last year. Um, so, maybe you need to score some points. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's probably the idea up in Lexington, but that's a different offense. You know, that, that's a totally different deal. Troy's different than the others. So, it may just depend on, you know, who they're playing as far as who plays and, and what, how, how that happens. So uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting, but that's a uh, sort of, you know, as you focus on different storylines in the off season, I think linebacker and secondary on defense are the two most, those are the ones you circle in red right now. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, receiver would be what you were circling red on offense. And, you know, there's a great debate raging on the big spur about the big, the, the, the receivers and, some folks want to just blame the quarterbacks for that last year. Uh, obviously, I'm not blind. I understand the quarterbacks were less than perfect. But I also understand that, you know, a lot of these passes and a lot of these times we, we look at film and we're like, well, that guy's wide open. You know, is he open because we're looking at it from the press box and we see a guy with green grass and we're not looking at – you know, we're not counting on the secondary's ability to break on the ball. Uh, or are we just wanting everybody to, you know, be Brett Favre and sling it in there, you know, and, and, and we're putting that kind of thing on our quarterbacks? I don't know. I'm staying out of it because I truthfully reported last year Colin Hill was, in the opinions of the coaches, the, the best quarterback on the roster based on what I've known and heard. I have no reason to not believe that. I also know that Colin Hill did not play very well past uh, past the Auburn game, with the exception of Ole Miss, where he played really well. And that's the bottom line uh, with Hill. Tired of discussing it. it, it gets emotionally draining with this fan base. Sometimes talking about quarterback play, and, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, the situation up the road at Clemson, at that position, notwithstanding, uh, I think that people get in their heads that. You know, everybody's got to – you're either Trevor Lawrence or you suck, and then that's just not true. Um, I mean, some people around here would have ran off Joe Burrow after his first year at LSU because, you know, he was a lot like Jake Bentley, you know, production-wise. He'd have a game where he'd play well, then he'd have a game where he'd go 13 for 31. Uh, and then he corrected it and, and got better and had a big senior year, thanks in no small part to Joe Brady and his offense and – all the talented skill guys they have at LSU. And, you know, then lo and behold, LSU went and hired Joe Brady's other assistant from the Panthers to run their offense this year. So I think Ed Orgeron probably was like, let's just go, let's just go back to what we do best. And so we'll see kind of what happened there and uh, happens there. But uh, I, I don't know. Receiver would be still, you know, just based on what I'm told, still with a red 
circle around that. And and the good news is, I think Carolina's got enough at running back and tight end to compensate for that in in the offense this year because there's nothing in the rules that says you, you can't throw it to the tight end a bunch or throw it to your backs a bunch. That's that's uh, that's not that's not a rule that you have to throw to the receivers. That's helpful if you can. Um, and I think there are some guys, Jalen Brooks, Amarian Brown, you know, maybe or Trey Smith, maybe not. Uh, you know, DeCarry and Joyner had a good spring. So so there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. But, you know, I would I'd be remi- if, if I sat there and told you everything was sunshine and roses with the receiving core, you know, I'd, I'd be lying to you. I'd, I'd be completely lying, you know, and uh, and all that. But then there's those that, you know, they're going to blame it on Luke Doty. So <laughs> whatever, uh, that's fine. But we'll see, you know, hopefully – Hopefully Doty's better and more consistent than he showed in the spring game. Cause I, you know, while I thought the overreaction was sad by some people about, you know, just declaring that he's not a good passing quarterback or whatever, based on a handful of plays in a spring game, while I totally, you know, reject that notion, uh, you know, and, and the the kid went through two weeks of spring ball and the coaches completely reject that notion. While I reject that notion, I, I do. I do. Is he is he polished and perfect? And no, I think there's things he needs to work on. You know, obviously, uh, finding receivers, having confidence, footwork. You know, you, you, there were some where his footwork got a little ugly, a little ugly. I'll be honest. Uh, so you got to get that. Those things can be corrected. And um, over the summer, you'd be surprised sometimes how good people get. You know, and hopefully, that's the case there. So. Going to be bringing out some of the football team, kind of dripping that out slowly just because it's kind of a recruiting time, et cetera, et cetera. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of going to be the focus. But we'll, we'll, we'll continue to talk about position groups and things of that nature. If you want to get in on the mailbag, it's inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. That's the email. Or you can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. I encourage everybody to go follow at the Big Spur Pod on Twitter. It's a good follow. It's got different stuff than the Big Spur Twitter account or my personal Twitter account. Also, you can go follow Inside the Gamecocks on Instagram. Follow the Big Spur on Instagram at the Big Spur 247 uh, if you're into Instagram. Instagram's fun. Uh, it's just one of those things that it's fun. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know that we're at the point, and we probably should be, where Instagram's a huge marketing engine for the website or the podcast probably should be, uh, but it's just not, it's just kind of, Oh, look at the pictures and that's fun. And we reach a broader audience on Instagram than, than, you know, we do just with the site or with Facebook or Twitter. So that's fine with me, especially some of the females in the audience, females. When you look at the stats that that can get you for a sports website, you can reach a higher percentage of female audience with Instagram, uh, which I think is awesome. You know, I, 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 I think there are a lot of passionate female Gamecock fans out there that enjoy, you know, pictures and, and, and things about, you know, South Carolina. So anyway, that's the Gamecocks uh, as far as football goes, baseball. And uh, lo and behold, Carolina did get to host a regional. I think that's uh, – I think it's a good accomplishment this year. And, uh, you know, I, I see some things out there where, you know, uh, they're not playing good baseball, blah, 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 blah. And I, and I think, look, that's a good thing and a bad thing. <laughs> I think it's great to have standards. 
I um, I love standards. I think this program over time has been successful enough to have big time standards uh, as far as wins and losses go and, and expectations. And when you finish seventh in the SEC, that's about halfway down. You know, you, you're not happy about it. Um, but I also know that this league uh, this year has seven of the 16 host sites, including Carolina. Uh, and, and the teams that really, you know, got on Carolina this year, if you think about it, they were 7-11 and 11 against the teams that are ahead of them. And I think in a lot of cases, you know, maybe not Ole Miss. You know, I, I don't think Ole Miss is a, you know, a sweep team against Carolina. Uh, I think Gamecocks are better than being swept at Ole Miss. I also think Florida is better than being swept at South Carolina. Um, but, you know, those are some good teams. I mean, they're, they're, they're the Gamecocks play. And and sometimes you go and um, you play and uh, it doesn't work out, but, you, you know, you still have a pretty good season. 16 and 14 in the SEC historically is not bad. You know, another nightmare in Hoover. That's historically not uh, something that's unprecedented, you know. But all in all, the Gamecocks are hosting. They're not a national seed. Old Dominion is the 11 seed. Uh, and so if the Gamecocks happen to defend their home field and win, uh, they are going to play the winner of the Fort Worth Super Regional. And I don't know yet how this is supposed to work out. My guess was that these were all predetermined. But – I mean, I don't know, like, if, if, let's say if TCU wins, obviously they're going to host. But Dallas Baptist, Oregon State, and McNeese State are in that region, and Dallas Baptist can pull some upsets, and so can Oregon State. I mean, Oregon State's one of the most successful programs in the country. You know, so there could be an upset out there, and I don't know whether the Gamecocks would go to Corvallis or they would come to Columbia or Dallas Baptist would host. I have no idea how any of that would work out. Um it's just not clear. I, you know, I think I read that the Supers were predetermined uh, back when they first started this, but that was also when they were like 50% capacity, whatever. Um, things have loosened up and improved significantly. So I, I don't know how any of that's going to work out. The Gamecocks start off with Virginia. We all remember Virginia uh, from, two thousand. I think, the 2011 College World Series. Uh, really good team. Uh, they ended up getting theirs and winning a national title and playing for another – you know, later on in the decade, I mean, 2014, 2015, I don't know. Um, they won the uh, they won the uh, basketball national championship a couple of years ago. Uh, so you know, they're they've had some winning deals. Uh, Virginia won it in 2015. I was pulling it up. Yeah, so Carolina lost to lost to Arizona. In 2012, uh, the next year UCLA played Mississippi State, and UCLA won it. The next year Vandy won it, beat Virginia. The next year Virginia won it, beat Vandy. 2016 was the Coastal Carolina year, and they ended up playing Arizona and winning. And then 2017, Florida beat LSU. 2018, Oregon State beat Arkansas. 2019, Vanderbilt beat Michigan, and that was the Michigan run was unbelievable. Um, and then last year, of course, no College World Series. So Virginia won it in 2015. They've got uh, they got a good team again this year, 12 and five down the stretch. 
the pitching matchup likely it had been announced officially by Carolina or Virginia yet, but Andrew Abbott, their ace, is going to probably go against Brett Carey. Now, this game is at noon on Friday on ESPN2. Gamecocks could have gotten a night game, uh, but and they it was their decision ultimately, but you know, TV came in and said, Hey, we'd like for you to play at noon. <laughs> and so that happened. And um so that's why the Gamecocks have a, a noon game. That now, now look from a competitive standpoint, I don't I would rather Founders Park be rocking at 7 p.m. on the Friday night. Obviously, some of you have to work and you're not gonna be able to get out there at noon on Friday or if you have to take off work or whatever. So it's gonna diminish the, the advantage a little bit, but you know, heck, you know, Gamecocks I think for this first one, it's just gonna come down to to Brett Carey holding UVA at bay, and then the Gamecocks have to scratch out runs because this this guy strikes a lot of guys out, Abbott. And you just don't want to hear that. <laughs> Gamecock, uh, Gamecock batters, you know, this guy strikes a lot of people. Well, the Gamecocks strike out a lot. So uh, we'll see sort of what happens there. Not, I don't feel great about the matchup, uh, but I, I feel good if the Gamecocks can scratch out a win Friday. Uh, I think their pitching will set up to really help them win the thing. Because um, I think the Gamecocks have a deeper pitching staff than anybody else. Old Dominion, the number one seed, is more of an offensive-oriented team. Um, you know, and so they can hit the ball. Maybe they hit the Gamecocks, and Gamecocks go into one of their shells batting-wise. I don't know. But uh should be a pretty good weekend of baseball uh, at Founders Park. Really good to see the Gamecocks hosting a regional again. I guess the first time since 2016, 2017, 2016. It was 2016. Uh, yeah, that was when they played uh, UNC Wilmington. Uh, and then <laughs> they ran into Oklahoma State and lost. Um, and, you know, Oklahoma State that year – if I'm not mistaken, ended up going pretty far. I don't know exactly. But that was the year Coastal won it. And, you know, so anyway, uh, Oklahoma State, yeah, played Arizona in the semis. And Arizona won, and Coastal beat TCU. And then, you know, you saw what happened. But uh, anyway, that was the deal there back in 2016. Last time Carolina hosted, of course. They went on the road in 2018 and won the ECU regional, got to the Supers at Arkansas. Uh, 2019 was a disaster, 8-22. and 22. Kingston's third year called off with a 12-4 and four record. And then 2021, they're back hosting. So for, for Mark Kingston, if you look at the big picture here, and, and this is just – it's going to be interesting because, you know, there, there's not – they haven't had the type of success right now as we sit here on June 1st, 2021, that, that maybe you're used to uh, as far as Gamecock baseball goes. You know, there and that disaster of a second year, you know, played a part. Uh, unfortunately, Gamecocks got, you know, their season taken away because of COVID last year with a 12-4 and record. But that 12-4 and record included a series loss to Northwestern and a series loss to Clemson. And 
I, I don't know that the outlook was all, all that awesome <laughs> before SEC play started. But, you know, you, you can't count that year. I mean, nobody counts that year. Um, if it were a year like Muschamp had or, or Frank Martin had this past year where they're playing but COVID restrictions or whatever, I, yeah, you absolutely count it. You know, I think you weigh it, but you count it. You know, this 12-4 and four that Kingston put up in 2020, I don't, that shouldn't that even count. I mean, uh, as far as, like, what has he done? You know, so if you get to the Supers this year, that's two Super Regional bursts out of three. That also means the program has been three out of six years to the Supers, which isn't easy and isn't really what you'd call the ultimate standard of Carolina baseball. But it's still like as good as a lot of teams, you know, and, and considering the program without a doubt has been in a lull, you know, since Tanner left in 2012, uh, it, it's not been as consistent, not been, you know, you know, quite frankly, not been as exciting, that kind of thing. Um, I think that's a pretty good starting point to launch. Now, you know, my questions about Kingston have always been, you know, I, I thought this year with a loaded league, you know, they did pretty well. They just lost to good teams. And and, and good good teams can lose to other good teams. It doesn't mean you're not a good team. Uh, I think what you do with it from here forward is going to be important. I mean, are we looking at uh, always South Carolina sort of being a little bit behind – you know, the Vanderbilts and Floridas of the world, or are we looking at South Carolina going back and, you know, winning the SEC, being on top? Is Tennessee here to stay? You know, I think if they keep their coach, they probably are going to be pretty good. Um, you know, what's the deal? Where does South Carolina fit? And, and I think that's a question that is legit that beyond this year, a lot of people are going to have, just quite frankly. I mean, I, I think that's – and that's kind of what I – I'm sort of – if I have a concern, I, you know, this year is going to turn out how it does. It'd be great to get the Supers. Don't get me wrong. And if he doesn't, you know, then people are going to start to compare his first four years with Holbrook's first four years, which would be, I believe, identical. You see Holbrook – actually, Holbrook went to the Supers in 13, hosted in 14 and lost to Maryland. 15 was a no-dice NCAA tournament. They didn't even make it. 16, though, he's back in the Super. So, you know, those four years, now you take away, you know, you take away the COVID year and it's it's one host and one Super, which is kind of similar to Holbrook's first three, you know, because you can't, you can't really hold the COVID year against him. Um, but, yeah, people are going to start comparing it. I mean, that's just the bottom line if you don't make the Super Regional this year. Not to put any pressure on anybody, but that's just kind of the way it is when you have extremely high standards as a, as, a, as a, any kind of athletic program. Uh, I don't care who you are. And, and, like, in football, like I was answering it, shoot, where was I? Was I on – locked on the Gamecocks with Keith? I answered it the other day. They're like, well, what's going to make the fan base rally behind Shane Beamer? And I was like, well – I think most of the fan base likes Shane Beamer. I think that, you know, they, they like him a lot better than Will Muschamp and they're pulling for him because he's sort of, you know, a member of the family, so to speak. Uh, and, uh, and all that, but, but, you know, it's not going to change. You know, the standard got set already. You know, people can say all they want. I completely reject this, that Steve Spurrier is the only coach that can win at South Carolina. Um, because, 
if you're saying that, you're looking at it almost like Kentucky with Bear Bryant. Um, and Bear Bear Bryant was at Kentucky for a while and won, you know, a lot there before he we went to Texas A&M. And I just don't – I don't buy that. I don't, I don't buy that South Carolina is a program, given the resources and talent and support that that program has – uh, is just good for like one, a legendary coach happened to take the job and he had a good run for a decade and then back to being blah. Unfortunately, <laughs> you know, you look and it's like, well, you know, basketball, you had Frank McGuire and, you know, then what happened happened. Um, and they kind of been, they've been in the wilderness ever since, except for, you know, Fogler's one year that he won the SEC and Frank Martin's run to the final four. Uh, but, uh, you know, I reject the notion that in football, because football is built differently than other sports, that, uh, you know, that it's just something where only Spurrier had the magical touch and all that. I mean, you know, Shane Beamer's got to get players. His coaches have to coach well. Um, they have to have good game plans. I mean, obviously all that stuff has to has to make sense. They have to stay healthy. Um, but but I, I think the standard's been set. And, and, you know, people can say all they want. Well, it's Steve Spurrier. That's, that's not the historical standard. You know, people want to go back to the 80s and 90s. Well, the 80s and 90s, South Carolina wasn't, wasn't spending hardly any money on football. You know, there were no faci- – the facilities were awful. Um, you know, the SEC TV money wasn't rolling in. You know, there's really no reason. You know, the, the stadium didn't even look like the Gamecocks played there, you know. Uh, there's a reason that there were, you know, reasons that program kind of struggled to get going and misfired quite a bit back then. They just didn't, you know, it's wasn't a serious commitment. You know, there's a serious commitment in terms of support and passion, but, you know, you got to put your money where your mouth is sometimes. And, And I think back then, you know, it wasn't like that. So, you know, people like to go back and say, well, historically this, you know, I, I think really the right, the standards started getting set in 2000 when Lou Holtz took that team from 0 and 11 to 8 and 4. From that point on, most years, Gamecocks have been in bowl games. Uh, they've had winning seasons. You know, they did cycle up to double digit wins for three straight years. And, you know, that that's, that's the level to get back to, but I'll remind everybody there, there were still things on the table for those teams. I mean, I say it all the time. They, you know, they could have won the division four straight years, that kind of thing. So there's still more to be accomplished here. And, and like, I, and look, and I love Steve Spurrier and at the end, every bit of criticism he got for how the roster was left and his coaching staff and all that, he'll tell you right now he deserved, but it's not like that guy couldn't coach football. I mean, and it's not like, you know, that guy didn't do a ton for South Carolina football. You know, I mean, his name's on the practice facility along with his wife, who is a who has a degree from South Carolina. So I, I just, you know, I, I I think you know when I say stuff like, well, you know, blah blah blah, Spurs not the only one that could get it done. That's nothing against him, because bottom line is right now he got it done, and the guy that replaced him has been fired. So strike one, you know, as far as like the post Spurrier era, but uh, you know, I, I think the game guys can get back there. I, I don't, I'm I, like, again, I said, I'm not buying the notion that there's one guy with the magical formula to win at Carolina because, you know, what was that formula? It changed year to year. You know, it was basically, you know, he made some adjustments 
recruited the right guys. Um, the university made an investment in the program. He had some good coaches. I mean, you know, there were a lot. It wasn't just that Spurrier waved a magic wand. Um, I think some of his play calls early in his career were magical. <laughs> you guys remember the double reverse pass up at Kentucky in 06 with Savelle Newton to Kenny McKinley? I mean, that, you know, things like that. But, look, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I think Shane Beamer is going to, you know, have a good chance to to do a good job. But, you know, the question was, what's going what's gonna to make people happy? Well, you know, I, I think what's gotten people down is, you know, South Carolina, it's not like they had – this long history of beating Florida and, and Georgia and Tennessee and, and, and Clemson and those guys, you know, South Carolina won their share during that run, but, you know, losing to Kentucky every year, you know, losing to Tennessee when Tennessee's down, you know, when Tennessee's up, it's a 50, 50 proposition, but you lose to them when they're done. They're two of the worst teams they've ever had have beaten the Gamecocks the last two years. Uh, and, and yeah, I'm including that eight and five team that didn't really beat anybody that was, you know, fortunate to win the Gator Bowl. You know, that team did lose to Georgia State and BYU at home and couldn't cross the 50 till they played the Gamecocks. You know, and then last year's Tennessee team ended up being L disaster after beating the Gamecocks in Missouri. You know, Missouri, I mean, come on. Gamecocks had, you know, they were five and two in that game, and now they're five and four. The Columbia Cups in the other Columbia. You know, Vanderbilt, the success against them needs to continue. You know, that's that's the problem. And then, you know, you're also looking at you lost to App State last time you played them, lost to North Carolina last time you played them. Had a nice win streak against North Carolina teams. Uh, it was 1999 to 2019 until a North Carolina team beat the Gamecocks. And so that's the first step. You know, you, you got to get back to beating the teams and the programs that you should. Oh, one more note about Virginia. I, I thought this was kind of interesting. Gamecocks and Wahoos, they've been getting together pretty frequently lately. It's, uh, you had the Belk Bowl. <laughs> Don't want to remind everybody of that, but they had a home and home of basketball that, you know, Virginia won at South Carolina, their national championship team, but then the Gamecocks went up and beat them in Charlottesville. Uh, and then I said earlier, you know, the Gamecocks and Wahoos, if I'm not mistaken, played in 2011. Look back on it here. Pull up the bracket here. Yeah, they played two really – first game, Gamecocks won 7-1. to one. The next one was this – Unbelievable 13-inning. I mean, I think that's when they they bases loaded, no outs. Gamecocks got it. <laughs> Gamecocks kind of got by them um, and uh, got them out and all that good stuff. That was a heck of a game. Virginia, really good pitching that year. They were the number one overall seed in the tournament. Carolina was fourth. Gamecocks ended up beating Florida 2-1 to one and 5-2 to two to win that whole thing. Carolina – did not lose a game in Omaha that year. That's part of that big winning streak out in Omaha that they had. So enough of that. Let's go to the mailbag. Here's two ways to get the mailbag, like I said earlier, at the Big Spur Pod. And you can tweet at the Big Spur Pod. And you can also email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. And that's where our two questions come from today. First one says, from Keith, which offensive unit – do you have the most faith in next season, men's basketball, football, or baseball? I haven't been impressed with them 
at any point in time. <laughs> yeah, or for quite some time now. Well, in basketball, it's like I don't know what style of play they were playing when when they were shooting well, they could compete. The problem is they didn't shoot well a lot of the time. Um, and I, I kind of think Frank's going to go back to pressure defense and, you know, that kind of thing. I, I think the style of play was different last year. Uh, and I think he's got some guys that are going to have some buy-in. And, you know, Cousinard and Bryant coming back as your kind of your building blocks, plus you mess it with the transfers and, you know, the young big guys that were have been in the program a while. I mean, I, you know, I, I have a little more faith than I did about men's basketball. Baseball – Depends on who comes back, really, as far as are they going to be able to score uh, or hit. I, I do think at some point, you know, this team just can't – this program can't just be let's rely on the three-run homer and, you know, strike out a bunch because uh, you're not always going to have the depth of pitching that you've got. Uh, as far as football on offense, I uh, I would say don't expect miracles, but I think they're going to be better than people think. Uh, I think that you're going to see – I mean, you've got good backs, good offensive line. You got a chance at quarterback, receiver is a question mark. Good tight ends, um, and I think a good plan of things. I mean, you know, I, I you know, you you, you kind of look at the the offensive coordinators under Muschamp, three of them, and and you look and Kurt Roper probably on paper, you sit there and go, man, this is smart. <laughs> They got into games and it just it was a disaster calling plays. I mean, you know, that's one function of the job. I thought Brian McClendon did a better job call actually being on the field, calling plays, up in the box, calling plays, you know, especially the first early in games, you know, he'd have a good scripted drive and Gamecocks would usually go down and, and score. And, but uh, adjustments were not a strong suit <laughs> as teams would adjust and, you know, really that last year he had, you know, he didn't really have a whole lot of if, – if teams were stopping one thing, like the down and around uh, or pin and pull run game or whatever, that, you know, that, that would derail the whole offense. So there there was – I think there was some creativity in the sense that, you know, some of the formations and, and different different things, there were looks they were given, there was some creativity. I, I just don't think there was a lot of out-of-the-box – creativity when it came to well, what do you do now when people adjust or they're taking something away. And that's what the great play callers do. They're, they're not only calm, cool, and collective uh, when uh, they're calling it, which Kurt Roper was not. Um, McClendon was. But but they also can think two steps ahead. And, and that's what the great ones can do. Um, and I think Mike Bobo calling plays uh, did a masterful job last year, all things considered. You know, understanding the strengths and weaknesses of the team, where to go. You can say what you want, but the actual in-game play calling was pretty good uh, for a limited team. Obviously, people are just going to look at results and say, oh, well, the results weren't there. Well, then they weren't. There's no question. But, you know, Steve Spurrier also got shut out in 2006 by Georgia <laughs> at Carolina with a pretty good offensive team that by the end of the year was going up and down the field on people. So, you know, great play calling doesn't always equal – you know, beautiful offensive showings every single game. Uh, but I do think they have a good plan. I don't I don't know. You know, I've looked at some old tape of Marcus Satterfield calling plays, and it seems good to me. I mean, the Temple offenses he had were not highly ranked or juggernauts by any stretch, but 
like you watch the play calling and it made sense. There was nothing kind of cattywampus about it. Um, and so I'm cautiously optimistic. I, I think anytime you have a, line, a veteran offensive line coming back, that's been pretty good. And you have good running backs, good tight ends. Uh, and you have a chance at quarterback. You know, Luke Doty's a talented guy. Uh, curious to see how much they run him. Um, I think he got a shot. You know, looking at the plan, I think they got a shot. Now, what does that mean? That, that just means they have a shot, you know. And, and I think you got Eastern Illinois game one. Ask me after game three in Georgia what I think so far about the play calling because that's that's really when the chess match gets real. You know, with Satterfield, Clayton White, all these guys. You know, these guys are first time they've coordinated in the SEC. So you just don't know what exactly is going to happen. Sometimes, though, uh, and we saw this with Brian McClendon, too, like the first year he coordinated, he he did really well. I mean, the offense was really good. Because they hadn't really seen anything, you know, you know, put things on tape, that kind of thing. All right. Bates West, Bates West, Kevin, Bates West. Wow. JC, it was very interesting to hear what you did when you researched first-time, first-year head coaches in the SEC. I'll keep this as concise as possible. My comment relates to the recent question that was asked on your podcast. It was actually on the message board, but yeah. What if Beamer should go winless in 2021? And would this be scenario be worse than when Holtz went 0-11 his first year? Yeah, that Holtz team, look, they, they were, their non-conference games were Clemson, North Carolina State, and East Carolina. Uh, there was no Eastern Illinois. So for, for Beamer to go winless, he'd have to lose to Eastern Illinois. And they they played in the spring. They were one and five. They're a proud program. Tony Romo went there. Uh, Dino Babers coached at Eastern Illinois. They've got a they've got kind of a good track record, but uh, historically, but there's no way they should come in and beat the Gamecocks. Um, he says, JC, if South Carolina doesn't win at least two games, it should be seen as a worse season than Holtz's year in 99. Yes. The reason Holtz had the 011 is because he rid the team of a lot of troublemakers, many of whom were pretty good players for the Brad Scott teams. The last time the culture of the program was broken during the Scott years. I can see this because I saw it with my own eyes. There was a lot of crap that went on in 98, infighting and things like that, that really didn't get resolved until the 99, the 2000 offseason. Um, I can say that uh, that kind of crap hadn't been going on at Carolina now um, as far as the divisiveness and all. It's not really a divided locker room. It's more of a hurt locker room. Um, and so I think that, uh, you know, I think they've done a lot to address that, just like Holtz did after he went 0-11 his first year. I'm not there now, but as far as I can tell, must champs players are decent guys who work hard and do the right thing. I agree. I mean, it's not you don't have. I mean, remember when Spurrier took over and players stole laptop computers and stuff? I mean, it's you know nothing like that's happened. You know, Beamer hadn't. You know, the guys that have left have left because they you know were transferring to another school or they went pro. I mean, you haven't had anybody booted off, right? And I, I think. That's rare for a head coach to take over and you know, nobody gets kicked off. Usually you kick off a couple just to 
you know, just to say, hey, you know, we're not going to put up with this, but there's not, you know, uh, even, you know, you, you talk to people about R.J. Roderick and R.J. Get, has a hard time because R.J. struggled covering people last year, especially in that Florida game. Um, and he, he, he gets, he, he has, a, people have a hard time because he just up and opted out when Bobo took over. And, you know, I, I think he took a lot of things Bobo honestly said in that meeting very personally and he shouldn't have, um, but he did. And he's a, he's a, he's a college student, young man. And, um, but you talk to people around him, around the program now about what he's done since the new staff has been there. And it's, it's nothing but praise. This guy's a team leader. He's works hard. He does this, he does that. They love him. So, you know, yeah. And I think, you know, so there's a guy that opted out as soon as Muschamp left that, you know, everybody's praising now. So I think that's a good deal. Beamer's t- and uh, Bates West Kevin goes on. So Beamer's task is only to move the pieces around to see what kind of product they can put on the field. Yeah. And you got to move some guys around. Like I said, I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Jaheim Bell, EJ Jenkins, and Nick Muse are the top three pass catchers on the team. So there are three or four very winnable games on the schedule. So whiffing on all would bring a world of heat Beamer's way. Your thoughts? Keep it up, JC. Your podcast is undefeated. Um, yeah, I mean, and look, some of it depends too on this, is how healthy is the team? Um, th- this roster is not good enough to survive a rash of injuries. It's just not. And and really, if you, if you want to get right down to it, folks, no roster at South Carolina since I've been – following this program in the, in the mid eighties has, has been able to sustain injuries. I mean, look at some of the, the Spurrier uh, teams. I'll take you back. Uh, I'll go to, all right. So 2012 was probably a lot of people consider that the best team. And, and I, I, I would not argue on that. I, I think that that team got screwed by, some scheduling <laughs> where, you know, because the A&M and Missouri got shoved into the conference. All of a sudden you're playing Georgia, Florida, and LSU back-to-back-to-back or Georgia, LSU, and Florida back-to-back-to-back. Just so happened to be Muschamp's best team he's ever had, wins and losses-wise, at Florida. And you're playing them right after you lose uh, to LSU by two points. Just, uh, you know, but that team went 11-2 and two and had some good moments. Um, obviously, after that, after losing those two games, they didn't lose again. Didn't lose again. So it's um, – but you look at it. I mean, check this out, guys. I mean, corner, you had Victor Hampton and Akeem Auguste, and then behind them you had Ahmad Christian and Jimmy Legree. Well, Legree was pretty good. You know, you lose anybody on the front of offensive line, and, and you've got – you know, Brandon Shell's the starting right tackle and the backup left tackle. You got Will Sport, Kyle Harris, Caleb Broom, and Cody Gibson. That's your backup offensive line. You know, we saw what happened with Dylan Thompson coming in. Thank goodness by the time the Clemson game rolled around, he was rolling. But, you know, that's tough. <laughs> that team finished number seven in the country. <laughs> uh, but you know what? They stayed healthy. Marcus got hurt against Tennessee, and that was bad uh, and awful and tough and, and brutal. But 
that was the the one serious injury they had besides Connor being banged up in, in a couple of games, especially Clemson. And, and that team really of those good Spurrier teams, those were the ones that uh, you know that had some injuries, you know, eleven and twelve. But it's not feasible to sit there and say at South Carolina, you can survive, you know, five of your starters being out. You just can't do that. You got to do everything you can to stay healthy. And I think, you know, Beamer's plan to keep everybody healthy is probably a little more in line with Spurrier than Muschamp. But, you know, there's still guys that, you know, get hurt. You know? And then quite frankly, there's some guys that probably need to learn to kind of play through a little bit. Um, and I don't know who exactly those are, so don't 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 come at me with who is this exactly, and <laughs> I want to kick them off the team because I don't know. I just heard that in general that some guys just need to kind of maybe play through, learn how to play through, and all that. Um, so you know, yeah, if if South Carolina has a rash of injuries and Shane Beamer wins two games next year, uh, I think what you have to do at that point is address what's causing all these injuries because it's now it's through two different coaching staffs. Uh, you got to address that. Um, but I don't think, and I think some people will be a little bit disheartened by the start to his career. And then, you know, you do have a cabal of people that don't like Ray Tanner and they're going to, they're just going to blast him, you know, and look, and I agree. I, I don't, I don't agree with blasting. I, I think, like I said, if it, if there's injuries and, and it's a bad year or whatever, that's one thing. You know, people, people, and, and people don't really think about that, and they should because, you know, you, you think about everybody just looks at that Kentucky game last year. It's like, wow, Kentucky's so much better than Carolina. Blah blah blah. Did you ever go and look at who exactly Carolina had on the field on defense in that game? <laughs> I mean, it's tough to win football games that way. You know, when you got guys that have literally never played. You know, and Kentucky was pretty healthy on offense, so. I uh, I don't know, man. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of chalked that in the Georgia. The Georgia game was the same way. I mean, C- Carolina had no shot to stop them at all, ever that night. Lucky that 45 was – Bulldogs stopped at 45, you know. Um, but that doesn't mean that with everybody back and everybody healthy, that, that South Carolina is still, you know, 23 points worse than Kentucky. That's just not true. Uh, when, you, when you've got, you know, those types of injuries, yeah. I mean, sure, look, man, if you, if, you, if you have to roll out there with, with some of the guys they had to roll with last year, you know, that level of guy with that much of an experience, you're probably going to get your brains beat in. You know, that, that's just kind of how it is. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, worst-case scenarios, and look, you guys have been through so much as a fan base. And I'm not going to sit here all summer and talk about how this thing's going to immediately turn around. Because that that's just not fair to you. Uh, it's certainly not going to be fair to me because if they start losing, you're going to be, you know, pitchforks <laughs> and blame it back on me. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say this. What I, what I do think is the process and the plan and the, the things that they have put in place, you know, point toward improvement. Now, what is improvement? You know, and, and I, I justify, I say justify predicting that they'll get to a bowl with last year, you know, if they'd have played their regular schedule, 
would they have still won two games, been two and ten? I tend to think the answer to that question comes down to uh, what happened in the Coastal game, what would have happened in the Coastal game. Um, Coastal comes into South Carolina last year, the season, because remember that was supposed to be the Steve. It was Coastal, then East Carolina, then Missouri. Great way to start, I think. You know, and, and I don't, you know, I, Muschamp may still have been here <laughs> had that happened. Some of you are like, well, good thing we didn't do this. But uh, had Coastal come in and beaten Carolina first game of the year, I, I think you could have seen a situation like what happened with Les Miles uh, where he got fired early, I think, after one game uh, when they lost to Wisconsin or, or you know, uh, Jack Crow at Arkansas. You remember yeah, he got fired after loss, losing to the Citadel at home. First game, Danny Ford came out there as a consultant and ended up with a job. That was in the 90s. That 92 Arkansas team lost to Citadel and came to Carolina and won 45-7, to by the way. You want to talk about a mess. First part of that year was a mess. Second part of that year was pretty dang good, 92. First year in the SEC. But, you know, so you look at This was really – yeah, it was a two-win team in the league, probably – had they had the regular schedule, maybe they could have gotten to three. Have they went another three? Maybe it's five, four, five, six wins. I think they could have scratched it out. Had had it gone, yeah, and a lot, and again, a lot depends on what could they have beaten Coastal Carolina in the opener. And we'll never know. And I think given Coastal's performance last year, um, you know, maybe you feel like the Gamecocks dodged a bullet. Um, maybe not, you know, maybe it took Coastal a while to get, I don't say it took them a while to get going. I, I just, uh, cause they did, they did come out right away and smacked Kansas and the hat speaking of less miles in the face, beat him 38, 23, you know, had a close one against Louisiana, smacked Georgia state. I mean, they were, they were good. Don't get me wrong. Beat app state. We had that win over BYU. Sun Belt Championship got canceled. They lost to Liberty in the bowl. But, you know, so if they were able to go to Kansas and smack Kansas down, could they have smacked Carolina? I don't know. Well, is Carolina as bad as can? I don't know. Those are all questions. So, you know, so, so I think in reality, you know, you're not looking at, Last year's team, even with the issues they had, probably by the end of the year, definitely a, a two-win team against any schedule. But at the beginning, of the, you know, since you're probably looking at a team that could have won four again or five, you know, so so how much improvement are we, you know, we're talking two games? Talking two? Mm. To me, that's not a crazy uh, – crazy deal not a crazy deal at all so anyway that's all the time we have today on the inside the game guys podcast i'm jc sherbert please continue to rate this podcast five stars please continue to listen please continue to send mailbag questions in inside the game at gmail.com or at the big spur pod and uh you guys rock and roll again hope you had a great memorial day weekend Time for the summer grind. J.C. Sherbert signing off. We'll be back this week with more stuff from Gamecock land. Hope you all are doing well, and we'll holla at you soon.